0: dear listeners, this is another exciting episode of the Remnant Podcast. This is the first one that's we recorded in studio. That's actually not going to sit on a shelf for a while, but it turns out that's an evergreen topic anyway. So be that as it may, I have—I wouldn't say by popular demand, but by his frequent demand—a <laughs> <laughs> um, popular guest um, on on the Remnant, and we're hoping that this will cement this as a at least an annual tradition here of the Ilya Shapiro Supreme Court Review episode. So this is the one for 2019. Welcome back, Ilya.
2: Well, this is my third time all-time appearing. I feel like, I don't know, do you, is there a velvet jacket? Do I need to hit five for that? What, what's the... At five, mm-hmm. the, sh- the swag is pretty awesome, okay. I gotta say. Okay. Um, I, I can come in the middle
0: of the term. You know, there's lots of things that, that I, go on. I realize that. This, this, is, this, is, this is a the minimum yeah. threshold for you appearing. is we yeah. We'll just lock it in every year when the Supreme Court does its thing. You'll come on. But that doesn't mean you can't come on during the rest of
2: the well, year. Well, you know, through yeah. my travels, people tell me, the, the rave about uh, your podcast, my appearance on it. In fact, more than probably any other media that I do. So either, you know, you and I share, share very uh, quirky fan bases. or No, that's that's probably it. There's no other. Yeah, although, we're
0: we, you know, while the remnant... Is suggestive of something that is smaller than the majority. It can still be quite large um, in terms of actual numbers that are attractive to say podcast advertisers. But that's a conversation for another day. Okay. So we're going to try to stay on message at least in the beginning and actually talk about why you're here. But as history is any guide, we will probably want to
2: celebrate Canada Day.
0: Yeah, okay. We're recording on Canada Day, or as Homer Simpson likes to
2: call it, America Junior Day. Um, And you are you're not still a Canadian citizen. I still am. They didn't make me give it up. This is one of the enduring legal ironies of the American Republic. Your oath of naturalization. I became a U.S. citizen five years ago. Your oath of naturalization says you, you renounce all foreign princes, sovereigns and potentates. And yet they don't make you do that. Huh, so I'm a dual citizen now. If I if I ever take a job that needs a top secret clearance or something, I'll have to renounce it. But uh, for now, I I go both ways along the forty ninth parallel.
0: Um, I'm not going to touch that. As I was saying off air, I was I'm trying to sort of discipline myself about some of my more juvenile forms of humor. But actually, this raises an interesting side note. We'll we'll get to the Supreme Court eventually. That's why I keep telling Ramesh Panuru. Uh, but Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, you've heard of her?
2: Uh, I have. Yeah,
0: um, She recently did some tweets where she was... She's on Twitter. She is on Twitter, oh. yes. And, uh, and she used to be a bartender. I don't know if you know that. Mm. And she knows what a genie coefficient is, so that makes her uh, have the kind of intellectual authority to socialize the entire economy. Uh-huh. But anyway, so she had a series of tweets the other day trying to frame... She wouldn't come right out and say that she was against the concept of citizenship but she was saying how citizenship has in America has long been associated with racism xenophobia slavery all of these bad things and she's she is technically correct it has been you know to a certain extent but she didn't I, I, she didn't seem to want to actually uh, drop the other shoe and say that's why she's against citizenship but uh, to your knowledge not only as a remarkably cosmopolitan fellow who was born in the former Soviet Union, right? right. And and then grew up in Canada and then...
2: Enjoyed immigrating so much, I decided to do it again.
0: And then came to the best country.
2: Right. In middle school, I had debates about whether the United States or Canada was better, and I took the American side. It made me tremendously popular. Luckily, I was big enough and played sports, so I didn't get beat up, but...
0: Well, look, I mean, truth is a defense against any charges of slander. And... But... So this this raises one of my great frustrations about the way we talk about American political life is... People invariably say things like, in this country, they have notions of citizenship. (laughs) And it's like, literally every country has notions of citizenship, right? It's like, we talk about immigration policy, and I know we have disagreements about immigration policy, but on the one hand, they want to make it sound like America is incredibly racist because of its immigration policy. And yet
2: everybody wants to come for some reason. Right.
0: And everyone wants to come here. And also... In any other context, we would talk about how, well, France is so much more enlightened than us. They have a much stricter immigration policy than we do. Australia has a much more strict immig- – Canada has a much stricter immigration this policy. This is the
2: thing. In in every other immigrant-drawing country in the world, it's easier than in America to get uh, a work permit or a residence permit, a green card or what have you, but harder to then a, become a citizen later. Right. You have to prove your Frenchness or your Germanness or, or whatever.
0: Right. It's, just, it's one of these things where people – you know Seymour Martin Lipset used to say you can't talk knowledgeably about one country unless you know something about another country because you have to compare, right? And you're not against the concept of citizenship, right?
2: No, I mean, I, it, I mean, re- reducing it to the absurd, what AOC is saying is that U.S. citizenship is a human right, which is just it literally is absurd. Right. It's also very politically problematic. <laughs> um, look, I'm I'm actually you know we joke, but I'm I'm an American patriot. I mean, I've the the reason why I I mean when I became a citizen, even more when I got a green card, because as, as I said, that's the bigger hurdle. Uh, it was the realization of a lifelong dream. I mean, I, I was from a very early age. This is again proving my 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 nerddom in, in some respect, although without the sci-fi component. Um, I would read American history books and and just lament uh, how I'm on the wrong side of the border, how we immigrated to the wrong side of the border, given that I prefer life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness to peace, order, and good government. So, you know, it, it's it, ironically, once I became a U.S. citizen, I became less defensive about my Canadianness. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you were interviewing me six years ago; I would not have come in here with a a red and white Canada beach ball.
0: Which, in fact, listeners, he he did do that. Um, he also has some pants that are literally burning my retina off in um, their maple leaf redness, or attempted maple.
2: They're, they're technically Nantucket red, so it can, yeah. again, very versatile. Yeah,
0: and you know, and the, the funny thing is, that I'm the one who was accused of not being able to buy pants. <laughs> but um,
1: Outgoing AI president Arthur Brooks feels threatened by your pants. Yeah,
0: um, they're, they are triggering. Um, so, anyway, we can do this stuff all
1: day long, but uh, how was this year's Supreme Court? Wait, before, the reason I went on mic, you two have unfinished business. Your bet. You never resolved that bet. Remember the last time he was on. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. need to. F- I'm. Let- you two need to sort that out right now. There was no. No, there-
2: we'll wait till the end. We'll, we'll wait till the end. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jack. I guess you're gonna have to run us again at the end. <laughs> All right.
0: Fine. See ya. Um. Uh. Because I.
2: So how was this? How was this
0: year's <laughs> Supreme Court term? It, it, it
2: wasn't <laughs> It was an unusual year. Um, whenever there's a new justice, whenever there's a change in personnel, it makes for a new court. Um, I think that's what Justice White said back in the day. But it it's really true. Even if you're replacing like for like, someone who would vote essentially the same as the person he's replacing, as say Gorsuch to Scalia, more or less, it's still the dynamic changes. Uh, what who you know who gets assigned the various opinions changes. Now Let's this term, term tea or coffee. That's right. Who has it. to answer the door? Because when they have their private conferences, there's literally nobody in there. So the junior justice has to answer the door. Breyer was the junior justice for 11 years. Yeah. Had to do that. Also sits on the cafeteria committee. There's this hazing that, that that's involved, uh, and that's the, only the, the bits of it that we know publicly. Um, but uh, you know, this term was unusual, even even beyond that, because as you know, we can hardly forget the uh, uh, Kavanaugh's confirmation process was. Uh, uh, a little intense and so when he joined the court there are hard political feelings there's questions about you know the court's quote unquote legitimacy I'm writing an article about that for The Washington Examiner, um, so look for that, I guess, next week. And, uh, you know, how would Kavanaugh – would would Kavanaugh try to tilt left to assuage his critics? Would he go even more to the right to be like a Thomas Maneuver saying, mm. you know – Screw forgive, all of you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I think Occam's razor, he'll just be like he was all the time. He's been a judge for a dozen years already. He's going to keep doing the same thing other than maybe giving fewer public speeches, which is – which is the case. Um, and saying how much he likes beer less. R- perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. Well, there was a case that we hopefully will get into about wine, uh-huh. uh, but he didn't write an opinion on that. Uh, but uh, and there were also fewer blockbusters this term. Uh, so the, the term was more fractured than typical. Uh, less than 40% of the cases were unanimous. That's actually low. They're typically hovering right around 50 more or less. Um, uh, twenty of them were five to four. The agreement rates were all over the place. Kavanaugh, for example, agreed as much with. Kagan and Breyer, Democratic appointees, as Gorsuch, who not only is also a Republican appointee, but he's also a Trump appointee and he also clerked for Kennedy at the same time. Uh, That is the lowest level of agreement. Here's some really nerdy trivia for you. The lowest level of agreement in the first term of two newest justices appointed by the same president since statistics began for this sort of thing. I mean, what I've seen going back to at least JFK. So, really unusual stuff going on. And Kavanaugh was in the majority the most. I don't think those trends will necessarily continue, particularly as we have kind of a higher quotient of controversial cases uh, on the docket.
0: Yeah, so um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and you know, frankly, you'll probably correct me even if I'm right, but uh, the, or at least make a pun about it. The 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 case that was you're right from my layman's perspective, and, and full disclosure, I have not followed the court this year as much as I have in other years, um, in part because it didn't seem like there was anything that huge coming up, and in part because of the day drinking, um, but the, it wasn't a blockbuster in and of itself, but it was sort of like, you know, in even a bad Marvel superhero movie, they do that teaser for the next thing after the credits. And the one about the non-delegation doctrine, it seemed like it was this teaser for a blockbuster to come, right? It was a Kaiser, how do you pronounce it?
2: No, we can get to Kaiser. That's the other side of the administrative state, you know, countering the deep state coin. But uh, this is Gundy. And it's actually my, my favorite case uh, of the term. Um, so only eight justices participated because it was argued that first week of October when Kavanaugh was still answering questions from the Senate. Uh, and we were waiting to see whether or not one of us would be right in our
0: bet, which we'll talk about more in a little exactly
2: bit. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. That's uh, exactly right. And that's unfortunate because everyone was predicting that this case would be five to four conservatives over liberals, but deprived of the, that ninth vote, uh, well, probably four to four, but then argued first week of October didn't come out with the decision, didn't come out with the decision, going into June, the last month of term. And typically when they're split 4-4, they just release the 4-4, to which affirms the lower court decision without any opinions. Uh-huh. And if they know that, they'll just do that like two weeks after argument. Right. Or they'll set it for re-argument with the new justice joining, something like that. But they didn't do either of those. And as it turns out, what happened, the court ruled 5-3 to three to turn back this challenge uh, uh, involving the non-delegation doctrine. Let me explain real quick. Uh, Congress wrote the Sex Offender Registry Act of all, all right, things. Let, let,
0: before you explain that, explain what the non-delegation doctrine is.
2: Right. Uh, so this is the idea: of uh, Civics 101, or at least what all y'all in, in America probably should have learned in grade school about civics. I had to no, teach no it.
0: one, no one learned about. it. Anyway. I,
2: I had to teach it to myself. But uh, you know, Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, you at least are old enough to have lived with Schoolhouse Rock. And I know, love Jack may not have, but but anyway, uh, you have the separation of powers, and the legislative power is given to Congress. And Congress, yeah, we sort of fudged it with the administrative state because it's hard in a modern country to enforce all the little laws and pass regulations uh, just by Congress itself. Although that's probably gotten out of hand, but what one thing you can't do with the legislative power is give that power to someone else, whether it's the president, whether it be Joe Schmo, whether it be a blue ribbon commission, or anybody else. And so, only Congress can write laws. Only Congress can write laws. Now they can, you know, the, the agencies fill in the gaps and all that, but only Congress can write the laws. With this particular law, the sex uh, offender registry, they could not agree. Uh, which was passed in the mid 2000s, they could not agree what to do retroactively. That is, sex offenders who had already been sentenced, convicted, sometimes you know released. How would these new requirements uh, affect them? They're could they didn't work out the political compromise, so they told the attorney general to do it to write all of the rules about, you know, whether or how they should register. And we've had different rules uh, because, you know, going back to Alberta Gonzalez uh, in the mid 2000s, we've had several uh, attorneys general and, and they've all done it different ways. Um, but the problem is, this is the, the the challenge that, well, if it's if it's that kind of rule by man, that's not the rule of law and that's right. That violates this non-delegation doctrine, which, by the way, in all of the history of the American Republic has had one good year, 1935, when two federal laws were struck down on non-delegation grounds. And that's it. Right. Cass Sunstein wrote an article in the early, I think, 2001 saying, you know, the, the one good year of the non-delegation doctrine in the, you know, 200 and... An eight or whatever it was at that point uh, of, of bad ones. And we've continued that to this day. And what ultimately happened here was five to three, the court ruled for the government uh, against uh, this uh, sex offender challenging this uh, this delegation. But curiously, the fifth vote was provided by Justice Alito, not joining the majority opinion um, by Justice Kagan, basically saying, yeah, the administrative state can do whatever it wants. This is, this is fine. Um, but he said, no, he said if 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 there had been a majority of justices willing to look again at our precedent in this area, take up again non-delegation, I'd go with that. But since there isn't, uh, I'll just uh, lend my vote here. Some people have characterized this as joining the libs to own the libs because <laughs> what he did by by providing that fifth vote is to allow – just as Gorsuch's magisterial dissenting opinion to be published, mm-hmm. so as I said, if it had been four to four, no opinions of any kind. They just affirm the lower court, no opinion. This way, even though it's a technical win for the government, he signaled, as I just said, that he's willing to reconsider that. The dissent strongly signaled that, you know, that what Congress has been doing with these delegations is is uh, just terrible and, and unconstitutional. And presumably, Kavanaugh, who did not participate, would join them in that. So, uh, so just to be clear, so people understand. Basically, if
0: it had been four to four, which is how um, Alito would want to vote on the merits, presumably, right? Then Gorsuch couldn't have written this awesome dissent. There would have been no signaling, right? And so instead, he basically voted. He strategically voted against his own position to pave
2: the road for this to invite future challenges on Congress delegating too much to the administrative state.
0: How often has that happened in the past where a judge has made it clear that they're... And did he make it clear? I mean, did he actually... He did. Okay, so how often has that happened in the past where a judge votes essentially against his own position for this
2: kind of signaling maneuver? I I haven't seen it with the addition of the voting against his own position. It does happen in terms of... Um, you know, we should reconsider this in a future case or something like that. And then, you know, that's only the dissenting position, but then there's a change in personnel and people realize, oh, well, now we already have those four votes. Now it's more viable to pursue that. Uh, And... um yeah it's
0: pretty badass right I mean it is.
2: It also happens in sort of split the baby decisions. John Roberts over the you know who's been on the Chief Justice for twelve years now, uh, writes these split the baby decisions that are kind of compromises and sort of invites in future taking the next step if Congress hasn't resolved it by that point or something like that. But as I said, this sort of joining the libs to own the libs maneuver is uh, rare indeed right. and and it's like... actually the the first and only time that Alito has been the only one from the conservatives to join the Liberals to provide the deciding vote in what otherwise would have been a five to four decision right
0: and just to be clear, what Ilia means by split the baby is a, is a reference to Solomonic wisdom and not to any of the desired uh, planned parenthood positions on partial birth abortion that 's a different thing entirely <laughs> um i 'm getting a very Weary eye roll from Ilya.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, the abortion cases, by the way, we you know take take it out of order. They, they they have no appetite to take them up. So every you know, I remember a month and a half ago, I was doing all this media about the Alabama and the Georgia, you know, effectively banning abortion. What's going to happen? Well, well, the federal courts will strike those laws down as being against Planned Parenthood versus Casey and Roe v. Wade, and then the Supreme Court will not take the case. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen in those cases because they haven't taken up any of these, uh, you know, more run of the mill regulations that have been presented to them. So, okay, so if that was the,
0: again, sort of a teaser bombshell, it was like lighting the fuse on a future bombshell, right? The other one that has to do with the administrative state stuff, which is, you know, my my favorite topic out of this year's stuff.
2: Um, w- was, where I come from, we speak of nothing else, <laughs> um, as Mike Lee is wont to say. The Was this,
0: how do you pronounce it? Kygor? Kaiser. Kaiser. Um, no relation to Kaiser Sosa.
2: No. Um why don't you walk us through that one? Yeah. Um, uh, again, this the, the factual origins are just obscure and wonderful that we can talk about these doctrines where the, the issue at hand isn't uh, some you know, politically salient thing, controversy like uh, transgender bathrooms or what have you, because that had the potential of raising this same judicial deference doctrine. That's what we're talking about in the Kaiser case. Uh, so the idea, the question of how much judges should defer to executive agencies When they either interpret congressional statutes, that's the Chevron Doctrine, Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, reinterpretations of their own regulations, and that's called the Our Doctrine, A U E R, and that's what's at issue. In the Kaiser case, which is otherwise a pretty boring dispute over veterans' benefits. Mr. Kaiser um, has, for a couple of decades now, that's how quickly you know justice rolls one way or another at the VA, uh, has been trying to get his benefits, and uh, the VA, the Veterans Affairs Administration, uh, reinterpreted its own regulations to deny him, and so we're, we're in this case um, where several justices in the past have been written that they want to reconsider this our doctrine. And so what, what ended up happening was... Effectively, Kaiser won his the decision below was vacated because the majority through Justice Kagan said that the V A was playing fast and loose and needed to be more rigorous, but did not throw out this deference doctrine. And basically, Kagan writing for Four other justices said that uh, as long as the agency was actually using their expertise, they weren't being kind of willy-nilly changing a political position or something like that, certain other standards, uh, then we'll allow our deference. Chief Justice Roberts provided the key vote in this going along with that rather than overturning this doctrine altogether, which is what the more conservative justices led by Uh, Neil Gorsuch would have done, uh, but Brett Kavanaugh wrote a concurring opinion. He joined Gorsuch, but said, reiterating Roberts, that there really wasn't much daylight between Kagan and Gorsuch. So in effect, by the terms of their own words, it's as if our were 99% overturned. That is, judges will only defer when the agency is actually right and did all of their homework. Uh, But Gorsuch says, well, maybe, but we didn't explicitly do it. Therefore, you know, we'll see. Ten years from now, the the great stuff from Gorsuch about
0: ambiguous laws is this that case or is that a different case? Uh, that's a different case. Okay, we'll get to that.
2: Okay, Gorsuch had just a, a series of barn burners all all over the place. Uh, definitely my favorite justice now. But anyway, uh, uh, yeah. So he's so you know stay tuned. Like with that uh, Gundy case, if after five or ten years. Uh, the lower courts are going every which way, and you know the executive agencies are running roughshod. Then you know maybe they'll they actually will overturn this doctrine. And as to Chevron, which is a bigger deal because agencies more often interpret statutes and they reinterpret their own regulations, uh, Chief Justice Roberts said none of this has any uh, weight on that. So stay tuned, and yeah, we'll 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 take that up when it comes.
0: Right. So for the non. Uh Lawyer listeners out
2: there, you know the ones who can see the reflection in a mirror. Um, well, I, I know most of your listeners are non-lawyers. That's why I'm—I uh, don't have to dumb down my presentation.
0: There you go. <laughs> um, uh, the the bigger picture thing that is in play here, you know, people throw around the administrative state a lot, and I loved like the Phil Hamburger Administrative State book, and it was a big influence on me in my last book. The the the. Basic principle here is that whether it's non delegation or interpreting rules and all the rest, is that in the Anglo American tradition, the authority to write laws only comes from elected representatives, in our case, from parliamentary elected, you know, uh, from the legislative branch. And when um, bureaucrats take it upon themselves to either play fast and loose with what their regulations say, which are regulations that presumably have some patent of legislative approval or what the actual statutes say, the, what they are basically doing is exercising what people like Edmund Burke or John Locke would call arbitrary power. That they, you know, we do not have kings and noblemen here who simply by virtue of an office that they hold or a title that they have, have the power to make law. Only lo- the only legitimate law comes from the legislative branch. And so for conservatives and libertarians who are the only people left sort of defending the core principles of American founding, the idea that technocrats could rule as if they had some title of nobility that gave them the authority to create laws that don't have
2: the authority of the people behind them is outrageous. And it's, and it's uh, outrageous that conservatives and libertarians seem to be the only ones who care about this because it's not supposed to be a left-right thing. Right. Now, what you just described just says, Congress writes the law. Congress could write wacko, crazy left-wing law. Um, And, in fact, uh, the Chevron doctrine, uh, when it originated, uh, was uh, conservatives were uh, cheering for it because the left-wing, the then tilting left D.C. Circuit, was uh, foiling President Reagan's deregulatory agenda. So, no, defer to President Reagan's administrative agencies was the conservative's cry. That's why it was so bizarre when Gorsuch was at his confirmation hearing and uh, I think it was Diane Feinstein, Dick Durbin, Democratic senators were criticizing him for having been skeptical about these deference doctrines about Chevron and Hour. So what they effectively were saying, these Democratic senators, what they want Rick Perry and Scott Pruitt and Betsy DeVos to have more power. Right. Uh, this is not meant to be a left-right thing. So it's it's frustrating that it's made into this. Uh, you know, again, this is not about what kind of laws get made, but who makes them for questions of accountability and legitimacy.
0: Right. And so it's funny because um, uh, I know we've talked enough on this podcast about the French wars, right, the,
2: uh,
0: where David French was held up um, by... Sorb- French and
2: Iranian wars? Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> it was held up as the this avatar of the decrepitude of the classical liberal order, right, um, or as... Uh, This guy, Rusty Reno, at first things, said that I, that Jonah Goldberg represents the purest
2: form of the decadence of our ruling classes, which I thought was interesting from a guy
0: essentially defending Donald Trump.
2: I also liked it when Tucker Carlson said that the uh, libertarian elites run everything in Washington. Yeah. No, that was, uh, I I brought that up with George Will recently, and
0: George, who's not known for cacophonous laughter, um, (laughs) could not contain
2: himself. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, though, full disclosure, I did attend a cocktail party in Georgetown last week.
0: Um, Well, in fairness, when I turned 50, I threw one for myself in Georgetown because Uh I figured at that point if I wasn't going to get invited to one, I might as well have my own. That all said, this idea, you know, if you want to take it on the – give it all the benefits of the doubt that it may or may not deserve, that you can order – that you can throw away the liberal order and create a system where uh, political rulers orient themselves not to – pluralism or neutral rules but to the highest good in some aristotelian or catholic sense that system is you could see how if they had actual electoral success with that which i'm very skeptical that they could but let's imagine that they did that mike pence actually does become the first president of the republic of gilead right then all of a sudden you would see liberals saying wait wait a second you know We actually want neutral rules and the Congress has to write these laws. We can't have magistrates or meisters who would just get to, on their own authority, impose these things. And so it's a very weird – it's one of my great frustrations with the moment that we're in is that arguments about the rules of the game, right, that everyone gets a turn, that you have – that that, that neutral rules have to be respected even if you lose them. Both sides on the right and left these days seem to be rejecting that and it's a pure power play that – if they happen to have the the car keys at the moment, then they want the rules of traffic to benefit them entirely and nobody else. And it must be a great frustration for someone at Cato <laughs> who has to see this happen
2: on to their right and to their left. I mean, I'm not even sure what the Amari position is and/or the Rusty Reno position is in terms of fine. The highest good we have, to, you know, that that's more important than process. That's fine. But what happens if the other guys win? and they get right. to impose their version of the highest. good. How do you prevent that? Is this like one man, one vote, one time? You just put in, you know, I, I don't know how this exactly, how you get to, to their to their promised land. And the only way to, you know, get what they want is to, to def, conversely diffuse power. So if you, your version of the highest, highest good can prevail in your little gated community or wherever you want to, you know, whether, wherever you want to live.
0: Yeah, that's the, I, I, I recorded a podcast with our friend David Bonson while I was in uh, Grand Rapids the last week or two weeks ago.
2: I love Grand Rapids. At it's least a great town. Six months of the year.
0: Yeah. Well, I then went to Alaska, which is great, three months of the year. Um,
2: Alaska is the only state where I have not given a public speech. Is that right? That's right. Wow. So if you can hook me up, I'd be, uh, I'd be grateful. I'll look into that. Um, that's maybe impressive. Maybe, I mean, maybe I've maybe been a... to every state. I have not yeah. given a maybe, speech maybe a, in every Maybe state. a cruise line or something. I, I don't know. There's, the problem is there are no Federalist Society chapters or law schools in Alaska.
0: Is that right? Yeah. There's some conservative judges up there. Okay. Um, we'll investigate this. All right. But- um, uh,
2: Guest uh, lecture at your next family reunion or something?
0: Given how big my wife's family is, that would be considered a public speech, if you just took a picture of it. Um, uh, but the the point I was trying to get- Oh, with Bonson, which we got deep in the weeds and all of this kind of stuff. Um, but one of the points I made was, like I, I, I actually have no problem with the idea of structuring a society or a community- around some notion of the people's definition of the highest good. What bothers me is this idea of taking over the federal government to do it. Why can't they just, like, try to take over Rhode Island? Right. You know, like, remember the, the libertarian movement it's a few New years? The New Hampshire, the free state movement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a great idea, you know, because if, if you actually have the numbers behind it, where everybody agrees on how they want to yep. live, yep. It's, it's, it's not top-down authoritarianism. It's sort of bottom-up customs and norms. And... That gets so. so, so of... That's
2: the substantive part that kind of jibes me the wrong way. But then there's the the process part. Like David French doesn't fight hard enough, for something. Like, yeah. come on. No, I know. It,
0: I mean, I think Jonathan Last nailed this. It, at the end of the day, he David French is among. He's literally among the worst poster children to sort of de- as the demon figure of the things that these guys are against. He's a wildly pro life. You know, defending the Alabama. If anything, you
2: should pick some sort of. You know milk a toast country club Republican type or something
0: yeah or you know or 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 Max Boot or Brett Stevens or me or someone who um, is much more libertarian and isn't making biblically grounded arguments all of the time. but the problem is is that David is associated with being critical of right. Trump and he's also associated with being an evangelical and what they're trying to do it, I would argue. Is cull from the herd any dissenting voice among social conservatives? So it's all
2: about transubstantiation is what you're saying.
0: Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Um, Works in faith. Yeah. Um, All right. So let's talk about, because it feeds in, and we probably should have done it before, it feeds into this point about the arbitrary power of the administrative state, this stuff about ambiguous laws, because I love that passage from Gorsuch. What was that case about? And what was that case called?
2: Uh, that's the Davis case. This is uh, four times this term. Gorsuch provided the deciding vote in five four cases. Gorsuch plus the the liberals in criminal procedure cases. So not unusual at all. Scalia used to do the same thing. Uh, the case that that uh, you mentioned was uh, although. A lot of them are the same way. A law is written in such a, a vague way that it sweeps in so many people the prosecutor basically gets to decide right. whom he wants to prosecute, not uh, you know first find the crime and then prosecute, but you know find the, find the perpetrator and then find the crime after that uh, and So Gorsuch is against those kind of uh, what what's, are sometimes called residual clauses mm-hmm. here in this case in the Davis case, it was about what 's a crime of violence Well, it turns out it 's really hard to define. And you, know, you think, oh, that's easy. It's when you use, you know, well, you know, it's actually not. It's consumed, you know, a dozen Supreme Court cases in the last decade. Uh, and so he would rather much uh, take the categorical approach. Mm-hmm. So fine, burglary qualifies, list burglary. Mm-hmm. You know, carjacking qualifies, list carjacking, you know, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, it's a very, you know, the government's feet need to be held to the fire if they want to exercise this awesome power of locking you in a cage.
0: Um, yeah, so what I, what I like about, so like, just being clear about where I'm coming from, I have this sort of Walter Mitty thing going on where, and I've talked about it a lot on this podcast, about how I try to look at similarities to pre-modern arrangements of law and justice and all the rest. And um, when you create, he has this great passage in there where he talks about how an ambiguous law is no law at all, right? And um, because what it does is, is it gives... It transfers power to the interpreter of the law rather than the people who wrote the law. And um, it's sort of like, you know, the thing I always think about are the sort of Roman and Greek priests who interpreted the entrails of birds, right? And because in reality, the entrails of birds don't tell you anything, it gives the priest unlimited power to interpret it any way it wants. If you have a, a truly vague law and it's kept on the books, then the... The the sheriff gets to say, well, this is what the law means, and then impose his judgments for what the the people's judgments or the legislature's judgments or whoever else is. And it's another one of these examples of giving power to people that they shouldn't have that has no legitimacy.
2: What were the what were some of your other favorite cases from this year? Sure. Um... In constitutional criminal law, the Tim's and the Gamble cases, one was a, a win, one was a loss from my perspective. In, in Timbs, uh the state of Indiana uh, prosecuted this very, very low-level drug dealer, uh, gave him a suspended sentence or probation or something, and then seized his $40,000 Range Rover. Mm-hmm. Now, the maximum fine for that particular crime Uh, was $2,000, and yet they seized his $40,000 Range Rover, um, which, you know, civil asset forfeiture, that whole policy issue. But the the legal issue here was much narrower. It's whether you can even challenge that kind of seizure as an excessive fine under the Eighth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment pr- prevent, uh, protects against cruel and unusual punishment and excessive fines. Well, turns out it's never been applied, or as lawyers call it, incorporated against the states. And here the court uh, unanimously said, yes, it does. There's an internal battle over which part of the Fourteenth Amendment either. The That's a win, pro- right? Yeah, over yeah, the, okay. or the due process clause or the privileges or immunities. Uh, uh, do that. Uh, you can read my stuff to you know go deeper into the weeds. I have a an article coming out in the George Mason Law Review about uh, on the 150th anniversary of the 14th Amendment about the meaning, privileges, or immunities, and all that. But yeah, that's a win, and it sets up lots of challenges to state and local civil asset forfeiture under mm-hmm. that particular clause. And then gambling just gotten wildly out of hand. Absolutely. I mean, right. you know, cops buying uh, 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 margarita machines and, and leather jackets and, and stuff like this. Um, the other case uh, is just. Uh, uh, Ripe for puns, which uh, delights me. Probably mm-hmm. uh, will uh, not you, but it's it's called the gamble case mm-hmm. and involves double jeopardy. You know uh, uh, puns right themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, there's a long time uh, the part of the uh, uh, the Fifth Amendment uh, pre- uh, uh, prescribes that you. Um, cannot be prosecuted twice. Right. It's called the double jeopardy clause, cannot be put in jeopardy of, of uh, life or limb twice. Um, well, Mr. Gamble here was uh, a felon, uh, an ex-felon, uh, and he was in possession of a firearm in violation of Alabama's felon and possession statute. Prosecuted. The feds decided that the punishment he got for that was not enough, so then they went to prosecute him again. Doesn't that violate the double jeopardy clause? Well those are two separate sovereigns you know mm. in our system of federalism states are not subunits of the federal government they're each their own separate sovereign and so based on the separate sovereign exception to the double jeopardy clause uh, this was uh, kosher. And the Supreme Court agreed. Uh, unfortunately, in my view, I think the, the vote was 6-3. to three. Again, with Gorsuch with a scathing dissent. Uh, the, the, the problem with this double jeopardy, uh, the dual sovereign uh, uh, analysis is, yes, they are both sovereign. But remember what federalism was put in for. It's to divide up government power, to preserve liberty. If by employing this structural federalism, you're giving the government more power to prosecute someone... There's a problem with that. You're doing it wrong, uh, to paraphrase uh, Justice Gorsuch. And so, um, also, since, since uh, the, the sovereign exception was, was put in, um, the federal criminal code has exploded. And right. so, there's a lot more opportunity now than even 50 years ago for the feds to indeed have that double prosecution. Um, so, that, anyway. I mean, isn't that really a big chunk of the problem
0: is this we're not supposed to have a federal criminal code? Absolutely.
2: That's that's a big chunk of the problem in most areas of law. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, quote tweeted you this morning. You you know you, you were talking about how uh, busing and something else are now back in the policy. You know mm-hmm. which which other seemingly right. dead policy resolved policy issue should we revive? And and you you went uh, with the commerce clause, which I then quote tweeted and said uh, that would be wicked awesome, <laughs> which has gotten me I think 250 uh, likes and counting at this point. Uh, wicked being again that foundational case, uh, yeah. yeah, allowing you to the government to regulate your backyard. So yeah. This gamble case uh, was uh, was a whammy in my view. So. Yeah. So the. Um, you no, know, by the way, listeners, that we haven't even gotten to the uh, what were supposedly blockbuster cases, the gerrymandering and the uh, oh yeah, that's a the ger-
0: census question. I find gerrymandering so friggin exhausting. It's just so hard to draw the line. Ah, oh, Jesus. Um, uh, all right. Do your bit on gerrymandering.
2: Go ahead. <laughs> no. Well, for look, for decades, uh, this is involving partisan gerrymandering. It's not about race. That's a separate body of law. Still good. It hasn't changed. This is about, surprise, surprise, politicians, when they're in power, try to stay in power, which means drawing district lines to benefit their own party. Democrats do it when they're in charge. Republicans do it when they're in charge. In fact, this case was brought by... Uh, uh, two cases that were combined. Uh, Republicans in Maryland were getting uh, getting the shaft from Democrats who didn't let them have any House seats the way they drew that. And same thing for uh, Democrats in, in North Carolina. Uh, Republicans had a narrow... Uh, electoral win there but drew that into a much larger mandate by, by drawing the district lines and for decades um, there would be these challenges brought with different kind of political science theories about how much political gerrymandering or partisan gerrymandering uh, is unconstitutional and how you draw that line and for decades the swing vote whoever it was originally and then it became Justice Kennedy for 30 years would say yeah it's no good but I can't have a, I don't know what a manageable standard uh, for, for treating that is and finally with uh, Kennedy being replaced by Kavanaugh uh, that was the biggest uh, impact, I think, from with that replacement, that uh, now there were five votes to say, no, this is not justiciable. It's a purely a political question. The Constitution is silent. If you don't like this gerrymandering, vote for different state officials. Uh, litigate under the state constitution in state court. But this is not something that federal courts will remedy. Uh, Justice Kagan, for the dissent, wrote a... Um, Uh, You know, a pretty vivid dissent where she expresses sadness Mm -hmm. at the state of American democracy and how the court has uh, gone wrong here. Right. But you you can uphold two different notions at the same time without being
0: accused of of inconsistency. You can claim that gerrymandering, excessive gerrymandering is bad and also acknowledge that it's constitutional, right?
2: Uh, You can and I do.
0: Yeah, no, and I do too. I mean, I'm much more sympathetic to efforts to fix districting stuff. And I'm returning to one of my very first uh, public policy obsessions, which was expanding the the size of the House of Representatives to a more uh, democratic size. But just explain to me why racial gerrymandering is still intact as a constitutional issue while political isn't. Because... Part of the reason why you ever had racial gerrymandering was that uh, race was a pretty reliable stand-in for partisan... Well, no. Race. Originally,
2: you had racial gerrymandering because people, the, the people drawing the lines didn't like black people.
0: No, no, sure. No, and, of course. And, and, right. No, no, I, I get that. But I, I'm talking about since the crazy stuff in the 1980s with the racial gerrymandering stuff right. that created a lot of congressional black caucus seats and a lot of
2: it was a corrupt bargain between was grotesque. the George H.W. Bush DOJ and the Demo- and the and Black Democrats. Yeah. create safe seats. Wasn't some of it by the Reagan DOJ though? It could have been. It yeah. could have. Been. That's, I, I probably, feel like that's some no of that where it started. I mean Yeah, it, it, I feel it like it probably, started in the early 80s not the early 90s. Yeah.
0: But that said, why is racial gerrymandering so you guarantee a certain number of black Because
2: race is a protected class and political affi- affiliation isn't at least at a national level and in Washington DC it is, which sure. is always kind of funny. It's like, what? So um, you know, American Enterprise Institute, of course, hires, you know, Democrats, but Cato doesn't hire socialists. Right. So... I'm not sure what you're
0: getting at there, but I'll just let it... You know, I'm just going to let it slide, because I'm... <laughs> okay. And so... The, and, and just one last thing on the gerrymandering thing. One of my abiding sources of amusement on Twitter, other than all the dog stuff, um, and virtually anything Seb Gorka has to say, is the people who insist... ...that Democrats lost various governors or Senate races because of gerrymandering.
2: <laughs> well, well, Stacey Abrams, you know, that whole large chunk of the Mississippi Territory was carved away from Georgia. Exactly. Depriving I mean, her of all those African-American votes.
0: And so I, I said something to this effect the other day, and a couple people with real righteous, you know, uh, indignation about my, you know, sort of partisan stupidity on this point... Said you don't think that gerrymandering lowers turnout, and as if like this was the actual substantive argument that in a statewide race, gerrymandering affects st- elections. And I've never heard it. It's one of those things where it's like, wait, is that a serious argument? And I've been trying to figure it out, and I've decided
2: no, it's not. Yeah. But um, uh, it can lower turnout in the districts because more districts become safe. Sure, not statewide, certainly, yeah, right.
0: Or but, 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 so, but that's the that is the benefit of the doubt interpretation is that if. If you're voting in a Senate race, if you have a Senate race in your state, but your congressional race is, is for a safe seat and there's no point in voting for congressmen, right. the assumption seems to be that, therefore, you'll be less inclined to vote for a senator, which yeah. I think is stupid. Yeah. Anyway, um, all right. So and then there's the census thing.
2: Yeah, um, it's a it's a case that uh, no one really counted on how it was going to come out. Uh huh.
0: Um, Why don't you enumerate all the ways it's yeah, uh, important?
2: Yeah. Uh, so uh, Wilbur Ross, Commerce Secretary, wanted to add a citizenship question uh, to the census, uh, which we've had in our history for a lot of our history, and uh, most Western democracies have that for you know, to measure migration flows and provide language services and all host of uh, other... Because
0: citizenship is actually an important concept, getting back to where you started. And it's
2: not about legal or illegal. It it wasn't to ask the question, are you in the country legally or not? It's, it's, you know, I had a green card for five years. I was legal, but not a citizen. Anyway, um, and um, people didn't like this because the the theory went, uh, if you include that question, then even families that are completely legal... Uh, will shy away from answering the census because they will fear that it has something to do with their rights or or, or what have you, leading to an undercount uh, that will harm uh, certain ethnic communities, certain states, uh, that sort of thing. Poor people. Uh, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, ultimately, the, the, the court decided, again, in one of these uh, – Robertian uh, compromises, twistifications, uh, if you will, that, um, well, in theory, the commerce secretary does have the power to include whatever questions he wants, but he has to pass the smell test for the reason given. Uh, for doing so, the the liberals would have thrown it out altogether because no citizenship question could uh, pass muster because it, it 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 harms the enumeration. The conservatives would have said, "Yeah, the statute's broad. Let's just defer to him. So whatever. He's going to come up with another argument that you're going to accept. That's you know no need to do that." But Robert said, "Look." The original argument that you gave, and this is sort of like travel ban 1.0 versus Mm 2.0. 1.0, you know, the Stephen Miller special, it wasn't lawyered up, you know, all this stuff. Same thing seems to happen here, not by the lawyers arguing this for the government in the Supreme Court, but in the Commerce Department. The reason they gave was it's because the Justice Department needs to enforce voting rights better. I mean... Come on! They didn't even provide evidence for that. They could have just said any of these reasons that I said uh, a few minutes mm-hmm. ago to track migration flows, look at uh, you know language minorities, whatever. They, there's lots of reasons. A good lawyer in an hour could have come up with 50 different reasons that that, that would have, I think. Wasn't there
0: was also possible. some email saying that this was actually much more of a partisan enterprise than?
2: Later, um, uh, one of the lead statisticians died, and his daughter found his hard drive and turned it over right. to I think ProPublica or Common Cause, yeah. and uh, they discovered that there was it was more of a political reason. Uh, but again, if they had just said, "Well, it's for a political reason because we think that it would be you know fairer to count citizens rather," that might have been fine given mm-hmm. the way the statute is written. But it's just this you know you can't give this. Something that, 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 a fake reason, Mm -hmm. in effect. And now the the question is we don't know when exactly the drop dead deadline is for printing the census. Mm -hmm. Um, In court, the government argued that June 30th, meaning that's already passed, but that's clearly not the case. I think uh, this week we'll see the Commerce Department come up with a new justification that they want to put in the question. That'll get litigated again. We might have an er emergency hearing in the Supreme Court before it comes back into its term in October.
0: Yeah, I don't want to sound like Marianne Williamson, but if we can put a man on the moon, we can delay the printing of the
2: <laughs> most of it is going to be online this time. Yeah. Um,
0: on the merits, do you think the government can ask if you're a citizen?
2: I think so. Yeah, I, I do too. So. I
0: think I think there are perfectly legitimate objections to doing it for the reasons people state and all the rest. It's, let's put it this way. It's probably really bad social science, but it's certainly it seems obviously constitutional to me, right? And this is another example, it seems to me, of... If the administration had its act together and was doing the little things right, they would be so much more effective, yep. you know? Yep.
2: Um, okay, so... Again, Leonard Leo should be put in charge of the rest of the administration.
0: I'm open to it. Um, uh, Trump can do all the photo ops and that kind of stuff and, and you know, anoint... You know, he, he, he can have the coronation for Ivanka, which seems to be going apace. <laughs> um, uh, so... Unless there's a burning Supreme Court issue that you have, that you want to address, I want to ask you about something else. Um, Have you read George Will's book? I haven't. Okay. In George's book, which in a lot of ways is sort of the, um, it could be a coffee table book for the remnant in terms of where it comes down on this stuff. Are there pictures? uh, We'd have to add some pictures. Um, But the only sort of truly controversial thing in it is... Um, his desire—I can't remember what he calls it—but his desire for essentially libertarian judicial activism among judges. He wants judicial supervision of democracy. That's right. Okay. Jack, thank you, Jack. It's judicial supervision of democracy, and um, you know, and he weighs in on Schechter and all his New Deal jurisprudence, and he basically says that what progressive judges have done in the aims of social justice. We now need judges to sort of do the, do likewise. Um, he he rejects his... He, he finally turns his back on his friend and my friend, uh, Robert Bork, and says, we need... I don't
2: think it's finally. He's been at this for
0: over a decade. I know, but he's doing it in book form okay. now, right? So what he's really doing is he's... And he claims not much, but well, previously he's, he's throwing doing, statecraft to soulcraft.
2: doing the same with regard to the uh, uh, infield fly rule at uh-huh. this point.
0: Yeah, which I'm less invested in. But
2: uh, where do you come down on all that? Um, Well, the nomenclature doesn't matter. So whether it's uh, supervising, judicially supervising democracy, judicial engagement uh, is a term that gets bandied about a lot. Uh, I think judges should judge. That is, whatever theory of the Constitution or statutory interpretation they have, apply that without thinking about judicial modes, meaning restraint or activism. Mm -hmm. That is... If you think this doesn't uh, pass uh, constitutional muster, then rule against it and we can argue whether your constitutional theory is correct or not. But we shouldn't be arguing about oh, you really should have sat on your hands there more or less. Um, so I, I don't you know I don't call it conservative activism or libertarian activism. I call it being doing the judicial function uh, and the problem with, the kind of left-wing activism of the 60s and 70s isn't that it was, quote-unquote, activism, but it was, I have a problem with the underlying legal theory that they were just writing the law out of whole cloth. Um, so, it, it, you know, I, I wrote an article for National Affairs that has gotten me some attention called Against Judicial Restraint. Because, you know, the thinking was, if you're a conservative or an originalist, you're, you're restrained, right? We don't want these activist judges. Well, that is Bork's mistake. Rather than saying... Um, You know, your crazy theories, uh, Earl Warren, are are crazy. Here are better theories. He said, you know, why are you unelected black-robed arbiters making the, you know, making these decisions? You should sit on your hands. You should be a potted plant, which, by the way, you know, Bork and and Scalia, to a large extent, er, uh, er-conservatives, if you will, make common cause with er er-progressive Oliver Wendell Holmes. Right. One of the earliest progenitors of uh, of judicial restraint. So again, I, I think we we do ourselves a disservice by talking about you know activism. Just means now I don't like the decision or I don't like the judge. We should talk about what is the theory being applied, and that's a problem with John Roberts. I don't think he's a left winger. I don't think he's a uh, you know a, a, a living constitution or pragmatist or whatever, you know, results-oriented, he is a minimalist and a restraint guy and a, you know, institutionalist, meaning we shouldn't you know, make waves and, you know, my theories, I don't care about that as long as I try to, you know, I don't know, depoliticize the court or something. It's not like he's been successful in that. So,
0: I'm going to keep asking people this until I get the answer I want. <laughs> Do
2: you... Th- and, I enjoy- and by the way... Um, Yes, I am implying, and now I'm saying explicitly, the Constitution has a classical liberal bias. Right. Right. Um,
0: But that's that's what I was going to say is is that if if you you followed your view of it, it would be almost indistinguishable from the naked eye of the contemporary political observer as judicial activism because it would be restoring interpretations of the Constitution that we have paved over
2: for a long time, Right. Until we get jurisprudence back to what it was, you know, some time ago, or not, not completely, because obviously racial discrimination is bad. So right. it's you know, the Fourteenth Amendment was ignored for a long time. I mean, there's there, there's wrinkles to all that, but in a lot of it, in 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 pushing back on um, the the growth of the federal government and and federal laws, and pushing back on bureaucratization of the law that we've just been talking about with the administrative state. Yes, it does seem like it matches my libertarian uh, you know outcomes, but. Um, that's just because that's just because we've gone so far for so many decades in a direction where the you know constitutional interpretation is divorced from what the Constitution actually says. Right.
0: C.S. Lewis says if you hit, if you head out a long way, um, if you if you take the wrong fork in a road and you walk a long way, if you turn around and start walking back, that's progress. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, keeping walking in the wrong direction is not progress, but. Um, Clint Bullock, who's now an Arizona Supreme Court justice, was a co-founder of the Institute for Justice, wrote a book, uh, what, 12 years ago now called... David's Hammer, the case for an activist judiciary, making mm-hmm. that point. And I, th- I think it's an unfortunate title because it's better, it would have been better to say an active judiciary. I mean, you just don't want these potted plants. You don't want you know, putting a thumb on the scales for the government, having a presumption that everything Congress does is constitutional. No, you're an independent branch. You're supposed to check and balance. And then that's fine. That gets an attack from judicial people who say that that's judicial supremacy. I'm like, no. You know judges aren't supreme; they just decide what's and if we don't like that, then change the constitution, pass a new law. that's how it's supposed to work well, but judicial review itself isn't really in the Constitution right it's implied in the structure um i I don't think you can have checks and balances, which was you know everything was drawn out with you know what is the role of the Supreme Court to decide you know to provide the second appellate review of some contract dispute between right. private parties I don't think it's it's that
0: um my um one of my great peeves is is that it used to be that every branch of the government would exert its own interpretation of the Constitution and veto what it considered to be unconstitutional things. It used to be is, I think it may still be on the books as a point of procedure in Congress. If someone questions the constitutionality of a piece of legislation and they vote against, it, that's that's it's dead. It kills it. And A. I. put out a book I don't know twenty five thirty years ago asking. I think Bill Galston was the editor asking the question. Um, is the Supreme Court the guardian of our rights? And I think today it's turned into that, but it, it's not supposed to be necessarily. Everybody's supposed... Uh, everyone takes an oath to uphold the Constitution, yeah. not just the Supreme Court justices. Um, but no, I'm going to get back to this question I was going to ask. Do you think... Because you brought up Oliver Wendell Holmes. Um, do you think that if... Three generations of imbeciles is not enough. <laughs> um, uh, History has proven that. Um, uh, now, do you think that if <coughs> he were not presiding over the question of constitutionality of progressive laws, that he would still have been a, um, uh, believe in, a believer in judicial restraint? Because here's my argument: George thinks he would. George will. I asked George this, and I think he, I just think he's wrong. Oliver Wendell Holmes famously said, "If the people want to go to hell, I can. I should let them, or whatever the phrase was." But that always struck me as this sort of sardonic. Clever witticism um, to justify what his real position was, which was that he was a thoroughgoing progressive and a eugenicist. I know he had this dark nihilistic side from the Civil War and whatnot, but um, on things like Buck versus Bell, he was not—he was a pretty activist guy. There's no, there's, there's one public health ordinance he's citing in there,
2: but he deferred to the legislature.
0: But the legislature was doing what he wanted. That's my point. Deferring to Congress, when Congress is going down the path you want it to go, sounds very principled. And my question is, is the counterintuitive one or the counterfactual one, would he have been the champion of uh, judicial restraint in an era that wasn't moving towards statism and eugenics? And I've never really gotten a great answer to this.
2: Well, he was a judge and a justice for a long, long time. And we don't have... But during a very bad time... Right. Sure. Um, but, you know, I've gotten this question before, I've had this discussion before, and nobody's been able to say, well, here's this uh, law he disagreed with and yet and struck it down. Mm-hmm. You know, he always was a restraint, deference guy. So, you know, uh, we don't have evidence. It's it's arguing a historical counterfactual. Sure, no, I, I get that.
0: I just, having read so much about the eugenics of that period, when, you know, he wrote this letter, I think it was to Sidney Webb after Buck v. Bell saying, I really got at the heart of reform here. Um, that doesn't sound like a judicial restraint guy. This is, It sounds like a guy who wants to bust out the calipers and the electrodes but, and do a but, lot of sterilizing. And, but if
2: people want to go to hell, I'll help them get there. That is a restraint guy. Yeah.
0: I just think that's... The, the fact that he said it that way doesn't mean that that's actually what was going on in his head. It just seems to me that, like, he was... Being cute when he's letting when when he's coming up with an enabling doctrine for progressive legislators and bureaucrats to do exactly what he wanted them to do, and so when you throw up this idea that when he presented with this constitutional objection to what he's allowing, he says, eh, "Look, if they want to go to hell, they can." When in reality, he doesn't think it's hell that they're going to. But anyway, uh, at some point, I'll ask the right person who will agree with me. <laughs> 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 um, All right, so... The bet. The bet. Okay, so so neither... We don't have a transcript of what exactly was said. We do.
2: Not in front of me. Well, not in front of us. Um, So you're saying Jack came unprepared to this? uh,
1: Uh, Jack, you want to intervene here? So I can can reinsert the audio because I have that readily available.
0: Okay, so just I want to be on record. Uh, I think that you're wrong about not knowing you i mean you can, I could be absolutely 100% right on the logic on the facts and all the rest but i still suspect that the democrats are going to lose their friggin minds and figure out a way to drag out this process i don't know if it's going to be uh Kamala harris setting fire to herself like a buddhist monk in in vietnam war or what but there's going to be something that 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 tries to monkey wrench this in the senate i don't know what well, it is of course,
2: of course they're going to try uh i'm not aware of any you know procedural uh hurdles they're certainly going to make a, a media firestorm and and all the rest of it but uh uh so i mean are you you know should we make a, a gentleman's bet on this about whether uh, so you, think, be- so
0: you think they're the, for absolutely 100 percent sure that the the next justice, the Kennedy's replacement, will be on the court before the midterms.
2: Uh, yes, for okay. the start of the new Supreme Court term. Okay,
0: I will. I have no idea how. I, this is purely a gut instinct, and you may be one hundred percent right that it's literally impossible for the Democrats to prevent it. But I still feel like the Democrats will prevent it, and um, and we'll 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 see. Um, but. Uh, what should we bet? A, a a reasonably priced bottle of liquor um, of the other's choice. Sounds good.
1: Back last fall, I, I, I uh, snipped it out to have people vote on it. But I, if I remember correctly, the bet was over whether Kavanaugh would get confirmed and before and then. You said before... I think it was, I
2: think it was even before Kavanaugh was nominated. I think the successor. That's right. Oh right, it was pre. And, yeah. and
0: my view was because of the Merrick Garland stuff and the bad blood there, um, that the Democrats would do something. To prevent it, or at least significantly delay it, and Before the election before uh, before no the first of October I think is what we said.
2: No, well, th- well, that's that's where the dispute is. Okay, yeah, because one you of... said before the election. Uh-huh. I said, oh yeah, he'll definitely be for for the election. You know, before the term starts. That's okay. right. Because okay.
1: you you made it even less generous to yourself right. than right. Jonah did. Yeah, and then, then...
0: And so out... Kavanaugh made it before the election, but after the term starts. Right, he missed mm-hmm. he
2: missed the term start by a week. Yeah,
0: so. You can see how deeply invested in, in in this I am that I have not, even though
2: I was invested in it. But then you wouldn't have me on your podcast. <laughs> this so He's been
0: afraid. Yeah. No, I think I think I'm right. I think I won the bet. But, um, and what do we bet? A bottle of liquor? Uh, a
2: reasonably priced bottle of liquor? Yeah, 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 yeah. Choice, yeah. All
0: right. Well, I don't. I don't know that we can
1: resolve this today. I, no, I think the voters are on my side.
2: W- were the voters on your side? I think so. I think so. I thought Jack There's... was going to present. with you know? Do you have the final vote in front of you or anything?
1: Oh no, I I, I didn't put it up into a Twitter poll. I don't think.
2: I thought there was a, like a close Twitter poll when I was monitoring it, and then I forgot to. And yeah,
0: then... so the, I, I think this is one that we're just going to have to chalk up to history. And... And it's just going
2: to be a running gag. Yeah, yeah. Every I think year so. we talk about the lost bet.
0: Um, and the stakes of the stakes of the bet have to
1: get, get higher
0: every <laughs> year.
1: <laughs> I've come for my kidney. Um, you're going to bet one empty Supreme Court seat. But uh, over my, the outcome.
0: my anyway, my recollection is that the the bet, as finally amended and agreed to, was that we were going to have nine justices by the start of the term. In part because of Ilya's good faith but stupid concession <laughs> to whittle down his position even right, further.
2: Right. But I think I think. You know, I can argue it as a lawyer. I can argue it either way. I think at a at a why people point, love lawyers. <laughs> at a certain point, you were you were you were saying that you lost, and you were conceding my position. I was taking your position, so it was all very okay. Well, yeah. So I
0: I think we'll just we'll nullify it for now until we can maybe we have to revisit the text or maybe the responses to this podcast when you play the original audio. We can.
2: um we have to do a revote? I, I don't know. Because there is that original Twitter poll, right? <laughs> I'll
1: I'll go look and find it. I mean, I delete
2: okay. my tweets. I don't know if you know the remnant does. You delete your tweets every week. Seven every tweet deletes and uh, self destructs in seven days.
1: Wow, I've got like
0: 139,000 tweets there. That... You
2: know, I I was hesitant to do so, but then I realized I never go back and look at old tweets. This is just deleting them. It can only be to the good.
0: Um.
2: So all those bone mos and yeah. puns over the years. It's you know.
0: I. The idea of deleting all those dog videos, I just, I I can't do it. Um, Okay, so um, do we have any um, other pressing justiciable issues that we Uh. have to get at? I don't think we do. Um,
1: Are you asking him? Yeah,
0: I'm asking you. Is there anything that we left out of the Supreme Court review that we have to get into? Uh Jack can clean up these long, awkward silences.
1: (laughs) Or make them longer. Yeah, no, that's true.
2: Um, well, next term, what we can... Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. That's good idea. All right. Thank you for producing the show. So, come, come and clean here. Um, so, what can we have to look forward to for the uh, for the next year?
2: I think it'll be a bigger term uh, next year. The justices will have all settled into their their current personnel arrangements and what have you. Uh, DACA is going to be at the court. That is, recall, President Obama said uh, he wasn't a king, and yet he created this status for the kids who... Uh, were brought here, uh, the the people who were brought here as kids illegally. Uh, Congress, to its uh, shame, in my view, has never passed the DREAM Act or provided that kind of status or what have you, fixed that problem. Uh, And so Obama put in Executive DREAM Act, DACA. Uh, Trump tried to rescind it, and that's been stuck in the courts, which raises the issue of, you know, can a president rescind a previous president's executive action? And if he can't, then that seems to imply that the first executive action was something more than merely... Prosecutorial discretion and how where does the president get the power to right. pass a law or a regulation? So anyway, DACA is on the on the on the docket. Uh, the first Second Amendment case in over a decade. New York State rifle and pistol. New York City has this had and this is going to be one of the issues. Uh, a law a bylaw saying you can't transport uh, your firearm, even if disassembled, separate from ammunition, etc., beyond city limits. So even if you have a second home or you're going to a shooting competition or you're just moving out of the Big Apple, you apparently cannot move uh, your, your, your firearm. Um, That's crazy. Uh, it's crazy. And after the Supreme Court took the case, New York City repealed this law. So they're trying to moot the case. I see. There's still going to be argument. Um, so they'll consider the mootness issue together with the Second Amendment thing. But... Uh, Again, uh, by the way, they took up the case three weeks after I had a, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal imploring them to take a Second Amendment case. So, if you have any cases, my uh, that you want the Supreme Court to take, my rate for op-eds has gone up. I bet.
0: So, um, so did they move? Did they repeal it because they were afraid of this going to the court and creating some nasty precedent for them?
2: Well, they mooted it after the court took it, so they're afraid of the court ruling against them. Yes. Um. But my point is to you, to create a right to carry. I Cuz currently that's since what, that's Heller, what I was at. right, okay. since Heller um which said that you cannot have a complete ban on firearms in the home for self-defense. Uh, but beyond that, can you carry open concealed anytime what's the licensing regimes they've refused, they've abdicated their duty to uh uh to define the scope of the 2nd Amendment. And on your instincts about Justice
0: Roberts being a uh, incrementalist and an institutionalist safe bet that he'll take the fact that it was Mooted to? Not
2: necessarily, because they've been waiting for a case. I mean, this is about the weirdest, smallest kind of regulation involving the Second Amendment that they could have gotten. Mm-hmm. And so, to the extent that they finally are feeling guilty that they're not defining the scope of this right, this is about the babyest of steps they could take to say, "Yeah, this crazy law is mm-hmm. goes beyond the pale." Because, well, we don't want to define the scope of the right to carry, but clearly, uh, you you do have one; it's right there in the text. Right, the right, 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 right. Okay, that's interesting. And and the other, the the third case that I wanted to mention is Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue, involving school choice. Uh, the Montana Supreme Court struck down that state's. Uh, uh, school choice program, tax credit scholarship program. You can donate to an organization, which then, you know, if you're a participating student, you go to the, uh, you can use it to whatever school you want. Uh, and it was uh, on establishment clause grounds, uh, on state establishment clause grounds, the, the so-called Blaine amendments that prohibit use of state funds to advance religion. Uh, it struck down that program. So. Uh, if, as the conventional wisdom goes there 's a majority on the Supreme Court to reverse the Montana Supreme Court and approve uh, these kind of school tax credit policies, then that would be uh, pretty much the last legal barrier to full fledged school choice wherever there 's a political will to have it
0: and um, a little punditry from you uh, the there let 's just for whatever reason i don 't want to speculate let 's imagine that there's a new opening on the Supreme Court um, before the 2020 election, let's say for the sake of argument, it's, it's Justice Ginsburg's seat. Um,
2: who do you think- Riding in the streets.
0: Yeah. So first of all, Seriously. What, do you, what do you think the reaction is going to be? And and B, what do you think, uh, who do you think is the top of the, give me three people you think are at the top of the shortlist. You'll get credit for predicting if, you're,
2: if one yeah. of your three names comes up. Amy Coney Barrett. Uh-huh. Uh, the Seventh Circuit, uh, you know, when during our confirmation hearing, Diane Feinstein said that the, dogna, the dogma resided loudly in her, mm-hmm. kind of mashing up anti-Catholic bigotry in Star Wars. Okay. Um, uh, Brit- the dog resides loudly in my apartment, my house. That's a different issue. <laughs> uh, Britt Grant, uh, who's only one year older than me, um, 11th Circuit judge, former justice on the Georgia Supreme Court. It's going to be a woman. Uh, I uh-huh. should press e- my comments uh, that way, if it's Ginsburg, it'd be hard not to, not to appoint a woman. Uh, so Britt Grant of the 11th Circuit. So Britt's short for Brittany or something. I think her full legal name is Britt. I've never seen a Brittany or anything, or Britton or anything else. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a strike against her. I don't like that. But yeah. anyway, go on. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the fabulous list of terrific judges is going to be expanded. I'm uh-huh. going to write an op-ed. I'm going to do some, some work at this. Throw out the people who are over 60, because it's been... You know, th- more than three years since the list came out. Some people have aged out. Um, I, I, a dark horse could be. Um...
0: Let's not drag race into this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's like uh, my, my 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 oldest son is about to get to the age we can understand jokes, and my my, my the first dirty joke I'm going to tell him is a, a white horse fell in the mud. Right. I, I, I... It gets dirty. It. Oh, jeez. Okay, I'm yep. sorry. I apologize. You have to be a literalist. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, Rachel Brand is my dark horse. Okay. Uh, she is not a judge. She is uh, Walmart's general counsel, uh, actually. Uh, was the number three at DOJ, um, the associate uh, attorney general. That's right. That's and right. then left because, you know, got a really sweet offer at, at, at Walmart. Uh, and is right there in the, you know, mid-40s uh, woman, you know, uh, sweet spot. So those, those are the three I'll throw out. But
0: didn't she have some role of not wanting to be on board with the molar probe stuff or
2: wanting to get out of the way of the steamroller or something like that? Um, there was speculation that she quit to avoid the uh, Saturday Night Massacre or something. I, I don't think yeah. that's the case. I really think Walmart threw a bunch of money at her. And she's like, yeah, with my young family, this is... I'd be silly not to do this.
0: Okay. All right. Well, Ilya, I promise we'll have you at, we'll definitely have you back by the end of last, uh, next year's the, the, Supreme Court. The term. The and, people demand it. And perhaps sooner. Um, uh, you know, if just. If you just had, you know, a broader knowledge base or you were better at puns, it would be easier for mm. you to justify it. But, or if your pants could be louder. <laughs> um, uh, challenge accepted? Uh, no, no. I take it. With- <laughs> withdrawn. withdrawn. <laughs> anyway, Ilya, always great to have you here. Thanks for coming. All right. All right. So uh, Ilya has left the building. And uh, Jack, back from his um, adventures um, on the Italian uh, coastline, and the, the, or where were you?
1: And the mainland. And the mainland. You were in Sicily? <laughs> I was in Sicily. I was in Rome. I was in Florence. I was in Capria. I was in Palermo. I was in Tarmina. I was in Monte Cassino. Uh, I was basically trying to follow the, f- the spiritual footsteps of my predecessor, George Patton. Who believed in reincarnation, by the way, and died well before I was born? So, yeah, uh, 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 you're not Pat. <laughs> now I was being naive. <laughs> um, Speaking of which, when I was on Sicily, I kept on whistling the Sicily theme from the The Godfather. Okay. You know what I'm t- which one I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, it just felt
0: appropriate. Um, I'm sure everyone in Sicily likes to have the Godfather thrown in their face.
1: Look, they had souvenir. They had souvenir paraphernalia for sale there so they lean into it i bought a i bought a godfather magnet
0: um oh so you got something really nice and authentic that's
1: nice (laughs) Um, hey if i'm gonna buy something like that might as well make it in uh on sicily is it made it was it made in sicily yeah
0: okay because i could see it being made in china
1: even if it was at least i bought it on sicily
0: it's sort of like some of those mexican town tourist towns that you go to on some cruises the the Mexican tchotchkes, they sell in the stores. A lot of them are made in China. It's really kind of sad. But, um, all right, so anyway, we have some house cleaning stuff to do. Um, uh, First of all, for listeners who are interested in where this great and glorious podcast is going, the sky's the limit. But um, uh, I want to encourage people, first of all, to go. You can now get to the archives of this podcast going back to the very beginning. So if there were any shows that you missed, don't go looking for episode 11, but, um, you won't find it. Um, but, uh, you can now go back and find the, the Ben Sass episodes. You can find the, um, um, Andy Ferguson episode where Bigfoot erotica became, uh, one of the running, uh, dare I say, memes of this podcast. And, uh, and I should also say that you can find them all still, um, if you're a member of NR+, Plus, which you should join, and I want to thank National Review um, for being so cooperative with me about taking the remnant with me and um, and also the G file and all the rest, which brings me to another thing. It'd be really great if people could go to reagan35x.com. Um, if you've tried before and you're still not getting the newsletter, what you should probably do is go there in an incognito or in private mode, depending on what browser you use, and try again. because. For technical reasons having to do with blood magic, it turns out that, like, the your browser is probably caching the old site rather than feed, feeding the new one. And um, part of the business model of this thing is to get as many subscribers, both to the podcast and to the newsletters as possible. And if you like the G file, um, that's how you do it. I should also say that I'm thinking about, and I'd be curious about listener feedback on this, whether it's to our email address, which is the at gmail.com or at Jonah Remnant on Twitter. I'm thinking about recording the G-File as sort of a standalone audio product where I might add in some ad libs and some other rants that didn't make it to the printed page. Um, and just because a couple of people have asked if they could get an audio version of the G-File, and I'm kind of curious whether or not that is something that larger numbers than a few people, um, are demanding. So let me know about that. Also, as time goes on, we're going to be looking for new sponsors for this podcast and I'll just be blunt about it. The best things for me to sell are things that I really, really like because I will not recognize time limitations about, oh, I don't know, certain brands of cigars or of certain Brown liquors. Um, and you know, and other wonderful products that, uh, we would love to uh sponsor on the podcast. So I just want to get that out of the way before I talk to Jack about a momentous moment in my life, my first 10k.
1: Oh my gosh, I, <laughs> I just can't believe. So I as I was putting the the Brad Thor audio together, I heard you talk about this and I just couldn't believe it happened. And I also don't still believe I still don't believe it happened because I couldn't find you in the race's results. Okay, I so your, I found your daughter. Yeah. in the results. Yeah. So <laughs> But not you. Uh, so where are you? I know I, how to find people. I wanted, I wanted to save this for when you were here. I
0: signed up. I have a number. I have pictures of me with my little number thing on my It's called a note. bib. My bib. Um, I signed up for my first 10K ever, and I completed my first 5K ever. <laughs> uh, uh, okay.
1: <laughs> so, D- we call that a DNF. What is that? Did not finish. Yeah.
0: No, and I, I have no shame about it whatsoever. Um, I, uh, um, I only agreed to do it because... The whole family was doing it. My wife, about 90 seconds in, just takes off and says, I'm going to run and leaves me behind. My, I was walking with my sister-in-law, who one of her daughters gave up about five minutes in, ten minutes in. And mm-hmm. she, she was looking for an excuse to get out, so she got out. And then I'm basically alone on this thing, which was a lot of fun, I have to say. Uh, it's much more gonzo than I thought it would be. Lots of weird stuff. If you go and you look at my tweets about that, you know there are dudes who set up like their drum set up and they're, you know, banging out "Smells Like Teen Spirit." You know, as you go by,
1: I almost always yell "Free Bird" at musicians I see on racecourses. Um, and uh, lots of people dressing up. I'm not
0: sure that putting on dresses for like burly men is as transgressive as it once was, but whatever, whatever floats your boat. And then about somewhere past the three mile marker, I was just like. I'm alone, I'm listening to the commentary podcast <laughs> I'm done, you know, it was like getting close to midnight,
1: and uh, but you can tell right that's the point of the race it's, it's
0: yeah, no it's it's bright out I mean it's like it was a cloudy day, but it was still like the equivalent of what I don't know seven o'clock looks like here uh-huh um it's funny they do this thing where they they give you the official sun and I know this from all of my perambulations with my dogs that sunrise and sunset do not mean you know. That, you know, prior to sunrise, it's already light. And after sunset, it's still light out for a while, you know. Mm-hmm. And so on the solstice, it's like sundown was 12.58 and sunrise was like 2.30. <laughs> and, um, but that said, there was no, at no point while I was there, was there actual like nighttime darkness anywhere? Yeah. And my wife was telling me that these, there are these mountains outside of Fairbanks are people photographers love to hike up and you can actually watch um you can do these like time-lapse photos where you watch the sun dip below the horizon and then not very long thereafter it starts to peak back up about you know halfway (coughs) to the right and um so anyway i thought it was fun you know my daughter did had a pretty good time given the givens and all the rest and but yeah I, i i did not have the right shoes with me i was not enjoying myself on the physical part of it and I figured I didn't need to, to finish it. I didn't have anything to prove to anybody. But we have this idea, and I want to talk to you about
1: this. Are we having a lifestyle exchange program now? What am I going to do? No,
0: no, no. What we want to do, or what we're talking about doing, is next year, the Gavora conglomerate <laughs> will... Uh, that is the right word for it. Um, pay your travel expenses to have you come to Fairbanks so we can and you have to wear the appropriate Gavora business associated t-shirt mm-hmm. to bring you in as a ringer to win the thing <laughs> I looked at the results I it is a winnable race for me oh I would think so I mean it's it's not part of the major runners circuit I don't think you know
1: but the, the, the this year's winner ran a perfectly respectable time but it's one that I'm more than capable of beating so um, and then you know we can lend you a car and you can
0: go off and explore the state or whatever. But I think it would be. No, I don't need a car. I need is as a knife. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, maybe what we do is we have you wear the, um, you know, the remnant T-shirt, you know, because you'd be on the front page of the Fairbanks News Miner. You know, it'd be a big deal if you won <laughs> <laughs> and bring you in as a ringer.
1: Do you have uh, any objection to it? No, it sounds great, and I've always wanted to go to Alaska. Well, no, I know. I won't say I've always wanted to go because th- I guess when I was born, I didn't know what Alaska was. Right. Um, but since I've learned what Alaska was. Since sound- you've had Alaskan awareness. Yeah, and uh, actually my my maternal grandfather was uh, st- stationed at an army base in Alaska for uh, a few years. That's where my oldest aunt was born before it became a territory, there, or before it became a state. It, yeah, yeah, It's always been a territory. Yeah, exactly. Well, not always. But since 1867. At 1. It's like a province, right? <laughs> well, no, I'm just, it wasn't always a US territory. Right, right, right. Um Seward's Folly. Um
0: arguably the greatest real estate deal in all of human history. Better than the Louisiana Purchase.
1: Uh what about the what about the, uh, the the ice rink thing that that Trump did? That was pretty good. That's
0: good. That's close. That's like 3 on the list.
1: Yeah, that's number 3.
0: Um Anyway, I think about it. We can talk about it more. Who knows where we'll be this time next year, but... Um... The bottom of a shallow grave, perhaps. <laughs> um, but few better excuses to go to Alaska, particularly on somebody else's dime. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, what else do we have to talk about? Um, I got nothing to say about And Ilya's great. Love him. Good guy to have on, but... Canadian. Canadian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that was always one of my um, wife and her sister's favorite... Um, uh passive aggressive insults about various things when food didn't taste quite right she would they would say it tastes vaguely canadian <laughs> and what they meant by that is that when you go to canada it's everything's just sort of slightly different you know just so slightly different that it's not that the food tastes bad it just tastes a little off it's like canadian bagels right um <laughs> Which actually, I think, are actually pretty good. They're more like bialys than American bagels, but um, um, but just everything's just a, just it's like airplane food. Canada, it's, it's just it's just off.
1: Yeah, I can I can affirm this having been laid over twice in the Toronto airport in the past two weeks. Uh, it's it's fine. You can like get it. It's yeah. basically America, but it's like, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting, weird.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just it just it's it's you know it's like the metric system. It's just it's just not exactly right, you know, but. Um, anyway, uh, want to give a shout out to our, um, friend Arthur Brooks, who today is his first day in 10 years as not the president of the American Enterprise Institute.
1: Yet he was still in this building. He was. He was. Um, We're going to need to get some people to escort him out. At- <laughs> pretty much. It'd actually
0: be kind of fun if, if Robert, like, made him pack up his stuff and, box <laughs> and escorted him from the property. Um, while you were gone, you missed all sorts of, um, wild and wacky stuff, uh, Seb Gork and I had another Twitter fight. Um, and uh, what else? Um, um, there was stuff in the news. I kind of feel like there was stuff in the news.
1: Nah, there wasn't, though. Yeah. It wasn't really news. It's not well, if it was news, now it's old. Um, and
0: anyway, so uh, other house cleaning things. Uh, by the time listeners hear this, they'll already have already had access to the Brad Thor podcast, which was great fun brad thor um uh who's a mensch and a a great guy and i really like his books and all the rest and um but he did something that i just wish more guests of the remnant would do is he brought a very expensive bottle of scotch um as it was technically for congratulating me and steve and since steve doesn't drink scotch it's all the better um on our new business thing uh but i just think that Guests, when they come here, should just understand that they're supposed to bring something like that. Um, it doesn't have to be scotch, you know, it could be a Rolex watch. I mean, Shh. who knows? But anyway,
1: um, I actually got a Rolex watch for you from one of the uh tourist site vendors uh, over in Italy. Oh, did you? One did of you... those Somalian guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got it specifically for you. I assume that's a real Rolex, right? Oh, I'm
0: sure it is. I'm sure it is.
1: Um, and um, you have not listened to it yet,
0: uh, Jack, but. While in Grand Rapids, I did this, as I mentioned earlier, this podcast with David Bonson, and we literally talked the first, um, I don't know, it it felt like a long time, I hope it doesn't to listeners, (laughs) Uh, first 10, 15 minutes about theonomy, um, which for days afterwards had the Muppet Phenomenop song stuck in my head. Uh, At any point, did you spell out the Hebrew name of God? No, although uh, you came dangerously close. Yeah, and and if you listen closely, you can see that we're actually spelling it out in hand gestures. <laughs> um, you have to
1: listen very, very closely. closely. That's right. Um, and uh, so like the, there's an episode of I think there's an episode of Fringe in which uh, one of the characters uses a, a device, that listens to a recording of, of, of a phone number being dialed, and then from that figures out what the phone number is. It's kind of like. You kind of just have you kind of have to do something like that to figure out the Hebrew name of God from the remnant. Um. So you
0: bring this up as if this is a miraculous thing. I hope maybe we can find it for the show notes. There is an episode of Radiolab, four or five years old, which is a great radio slash podcast thing. Um, and I would love to do more stuff like that as our empire grows. Um, and I cannot remember what the term for it is, but it was. Among the earliest forms of hacking where uh, people learned how to whistle into rotary phone or into, into phones or, or or play the clicks on the, you know, the the plunger thing that hangs up the phone in a way to make all sorts of wild long distance calls. They would sneak into sort of party lines that was like the original chat rooms long before anything like the Internet was even imagined. And there were all sorts of people who had these preternatural gifts for manipulating phones the way computer hackers um, do today. And
1: it's really a fascinating subculture. Do you think this is one of the things that uh, Beto O'Rourke did back when he was, what, Apache DreamSack or whatever his hacker name was?
0: Was that what his hacker name was? I think so. I I don't know. What What is Apache Dream Sack? Do I not want to ask this question? <laughs> I, let me... Don't,
1: can, don't go... What? I want to confirm. I'm not going to investigate what an Apache Dream Sack would be. I just want to make sure I'm right about the name. I mean, not and not Apache? Are you just mispronouncing Apache? Yeah, I am. Okay. Uh, it's for effect. Okay. I'm just trying to make this show interesting. Uh, I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure... He was like one of the. Um, he was original part of some hacker. Yeah. Out, right. But yeah, where where did I get the? I hope I'm not just making this up. Although, frankly, if I am, I have a pretty interesting imagination. Um, hacker name, what would it be? Um, you can keep talking while I do this. Yeah, I mean, this, one of the things. I mean,
0: we could come up with our own sort of game about how, you know, how games like you know, to come up with your stripper name or your. Porn star name is take the name of your first pet in the first street you lived on or whatever. Um, maybe we can come up with something like that for your for your hacker name.
1: Uh so the uh the hacking group was called Cult of the Dead Cow. Uh huh. But and one of his usernames was Psychedelic Warlord, but that's just kind of a That's lame. No, it's like a half decent band name. I don't know where I came up with the Apache Dream Sack
0: thing. Well, not only did you come up with Apache Dream Sack, but you came up with a fairly douchey
1: pronunciation of Apache. (laughs) Yeah, man. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just hip. This trip to Italy has made me, uh, all that that time bossing around Gen Z whippersnappers has made me hip to their lingo. Gen Z Whippersnappers, that's not a bad band name. Mm, Um, I'll be the judge of that. Um,
0: all right. Well, I guess we're just done here, because if I feel like we're just killing time, <laughs> I can only assume the listeners do, too. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for bearing with us as we um, keep kicking the tires, figuring out what we're doing here. Uh, thanks again, as I said, to National Review for everything. And um, and uh, thanks again to Ilya Shapiro for coming back on. We'll uh, see you next time.
1: No, you won't. This is a podcast. Perfect. Emphatic.
0: I assume you're still in favor of the liberal order.
2: I am in favor of the liberal yeah. order.
0: I mean, there are very few things you can say you're against at Cato that <laughs> would get you kicked out and that would be one of yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. We ready? Yep. Step into the world of power. Loyalty.